Welcome to episode 32 of Red Boy Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. Today, my special guest is Dan Torgman of ABR. We take a look back at last Saturday's Arkansas Derby card from Oakland Park, and some angles we talk about are how to try and make money with an under-even money shot, and in a wide-open race, it's super hard to find the winner. This is a Red Board Rewind. It's the same old story. now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Dan Torchman. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to have you aboard. Really, really excited for this podcast. We're going to be talking some Arkansas Derby. How was your weekend overall? Doing all right with the horses? It was good. It was good. I actually, um, it's so funny how these things work. I spent so much time handicapping leading up to Friday and Saturday at Oak Lawn. Uh, Friday, I got like completely shut out all day until the last race of the day. I got lucky. I hit, I hit a super for a buck that, that ended up getting me back for, uh, for Friday. And then I went to Saturday full of confidence and of course, uh, crash and burn, uh, for most of the day. And then I, I hit a, uh, a 40 to one shot in exact at Tampa on Saturday, which I spent probably about a minute and a half handicapping that race. <laughs> And that's the race that I hit that got me out on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, it was a little bumpy. Um, I gave a little back Sunday, but that's it. You know, it's the uh, that's the roller coaster that is horse betting. You know, good days and bad days. And sometimes you could spend all the time in the world handicapping and analyzing. And it's it's the thing that you think uh, or the race that you think will, will be the, the one that you're least likely to succeed in that, that, that gets you out or gets you ahead. People always talk about, at least I, I like to talk about, like, how long you spend on a race per per race basis and for me it's like i'm spending usually like half an hour a little bit more some people are spending 15 minutes and for me i just maybe because i haven't been handicapping as long as those people to spend 15 minutes or you know five minutes i just feel like now obviously with your horse getting the deeper dive really wasn't a thing you were just looking to make a play a real quick action bet and a hit but for the people who say that they play you know religiously and are doing 15 minutes of handicapping i just can't see how you can get it done in that amount of time it's tough. You know, I mean, I look at it, I have sort of two buckets of handicapping. I have like me sort of degenerate gambling handicapping where uh-huh. I could just spend a couple of minutes, certainly 15 minutes is plenty of time to, to dive in, kind of scroll through the PPs, try to find something I like. Uh, but if I'm doing um, a write up for either a website for America's Best Racing, if I'm going to be doing like uh, a live stream or a webinar or a podcast, and I get asked to um, come ready with opinions, I'm not going to tell other people what to play unless I put in the time. And so for me, um, at a minimum, that's 30 minutes. I'm a big, big proponent of watching replays because a lot of times you don't find, um, you know, really those those key morsels, those key nuggets, unless you actually watch the replays yourselves. So, you know, just reading the trip notes um, doesn't doesn't often do it for me. Um, and really, everyone has access to those. So it, it's all about looking at replays and watching things that aren't in the notes that people are sort of, you know, kind of casually just just glancing through or, or sifting through. So 
Um, for me, a, a race like, for example, the um, the Oakland Handicap, where I mean, I know most of those horses, but I wanted to take a look at, at most of their recent races, and so I spent a good amount of time looking at all those recent races for for fourteen horses uh, initially. Of course, there were the scratch. Was there a scratch? I'm trying to remember. Improbable was scratch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Improbable scratch. Exactly. So, um, yeah, but still, I mean, I, you know, I watched all those replays. I, I love watching Improbable finish second. So um, <laughs> had to had to watch those again, and um, yeah, I, I probably spent a good hour on that race, and I didn't hit. Uh, but you know, we we could talk talk some more about it. Uh, that, that that was certainly an interesting race. Now, for, for me, I kind of feel like race replay watching the the replays is kind of like the last frontier on how you can make money in the game. It used to be speed figures. Obviously, now everyone the highest speed figure horse always seems to be that. The, the biggest favorite in the race. Do you feel that replays is really the last kind of thing that separates a winning player from a losing player? Or there's still some of the stuff to do with pace and class that can still get you a decent overlay. I think, uh, I think replays are for me, at least um, when I, um, I, I think some of my best hits come when I'm aware of three things. One is, is something uh, that I see in a replay that's not in uh, trip notes um, the other thing is if I'm I'm aware of of, of biases uh, at tracks on certain days that that aren't going to be listed anywhere, um, and I've kept notes on a horse which I don't do uh, as good of a job on as a lot of people do. Um, I, I know a lot of people uh, like my buddy Mark DiLorenzo runs a uh, basically a, a service called Giddy Up Bets. Um, he's a master at keeping trip notes and and um, also uh, keeping track of biases over time. I think people who do that have a significant edge. And then the last thing for me, in which I see that, that oftentimes, you know, I get, I'll get asked by people, "How did you? How did you know that that was going to happen? That's that's so crazy. How did you find that horse at twenty to one or twenty five to one? It, it's it's part of it's watching replays, but also it's kind of being aware of horses that are going to be loose speed that I think a lot of people overlook. And obviously, the most you know common occurrence of it is are horses that are stretching out from from sprinting to to routing, but but who might not even appear based on you know just reading through their past performances, horses that have enough speed to get to the lead, but kind of factoring in just sort of you know my foundational knowledge of trainers, um, jockeys, and um, combining just just kind of getting a feel for the entire race where I can look at a race and I. Oftentimes, we'll have um, a little bit of a, a, a sense for a horse who, who I think is a likely candidate to, to be a loose pace setter. And a lot of times, horses like that, even horses who've shown like terrible form recently, will often improve dramatically when they're um, you know when they're loose speed. So um, I think those those are the instances in which I, I, I think I have the biggest edge personally, and and that would go beyond I think the traditional kind of scanning the PPs that most people do. When we talk about horses being lone speed, the opposite of that obviously would be the lone closer or when there's a pace meltdown. I feel like that's another spot where a lot of longer shot horses come in. We had one on Saturday where, I mean, it was absolute dream trip. It was a five horse in like the third or fourth race, got the rail, and just it seemed like just a paved highway. Everyone moved over for this horse. This horse comes up, wins, and paid somewhere in the you know $50, $60 range, I believe. Is that Reef's Destiny? Yeah. Kelsey Haar up Kelsey the rail? Kelsey Haar up the rail. <laughs> I mean, we, we saw it. We're like, we're watching what we were doing a live stream. It was me, uh, Marshall Sterling, uh, Benny South Street, and Sean Alvarez. And we're like, oh, this horse is about to get the absolute dream trip up the rail. And then she kept going. I was like, that's what you guys do when you don't shut the rail off for certain horses. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's interesting, and I and I, you know we could have a discussion about you know finding long shots. I think that's a race in which, um, without doing too deep a dive on it, you have a horse that was it was cutting back from a mile on a sixteenth, um, and who had closed pretty well um, at the level. You know, two races back, granted over an off track, and finished two lanes beaten. So if you're getting thirty to one. Uh, at the level or pretty close to um, a horse that's two lanes beat. And I think that's where going back and, and watching replays or at least just taking a close enough look at, you know, how horses are running um, at the level and at the distance. Um, you Sometimes you find gems like that. Um, I had this horse like buried like way underneath. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it was like probably my fifth or sixth choice. If I was going to go a little deeper, if I had the horse fourth or third, I probably would have hit something because I'll usually, um, you know, wheel my top pick, which I think finished third in that race. And I would have probably hit something there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously I, I didn't. But, you know, I didn't think that horse was impossible to find. Um, and you know, I think that's, that's the beauty of horse racing is, is finding spots where, um, you may find a press. I know last week I was listening to, to you with, with JK, Jonathan Kinchin, and I think his strategy and mine are completely different. Um, which is again, the beauty of horse racing. We could all approach this differently. His, um, is very focused on finding sure things and mm-hmm. hammering those things kind of very confidently finding often short prices, two to one even, um, and, and just going all in. I don't do that. I, I don't do that at all uh, because, uh, simply put, I mean, I don't have the um, the, the budget. I, I don't think that, that you need to have to be able to confidently stand behind horses like that and make money. Um, and you often need, as he touched on last week with you, I think you often need a connecting horse or two horses in, in, a, in a double or a pick three or even to just hammer an exacta uh, to, to make that work. And and then again, you're kind of dealing with variables that are sort of out of your hand. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't I don't love playing it that way. So for me, my approach is finding that one horse during the day, like I mentioned earlier. You know, that one race that mm-hmm. that can really make my day. Even if I lose ninety percent of my bets on the day, I'm okay with that. But but I better find at least one that I can capitalize on. I mean, we can't. I I used to like practically live in the OTBs when I was first trying to learn the game because I'm just such a sponge. I want to learn everything. As- fast as possible and how many times somebody would hit a race like the second race of the day for like a nice like you know clip maybe a couple hundred and then by race nine they've already lost it all i'm just like yeah how is that physically possible that you can have <laughs> two good opinions in a day and then you're done already like you're just in the negative like just bankroll management in general it's like when you look at you know there's so much stuff out there for poker and like when to go all in and tournament in this scenario in this scenario and it's like if we did half of that for the horse racing community, I just think that it would just be such a different thing. I, I, I can play in tournaments. It's like if you have, you know, ace king in this spot and there's three people behind you, fold mm-hmm. and wait for a little bit better of a hand. Mm-hmm. And with the bankroll management, every day people love the early races, but then they'll still play. People just don't know how to sit on their hands, I guess, is the correct way to look right. at it. Yeah, look, there's something about horse racing where um, as as an adrenaline junkie like I am, as somebody who loves gambling, who loves action, you know, I and it works both ways. Like I, I know that when I um, was playing all day Friday, as I mentioned earlier, and mm-hmm. I wasn't connecting and then I finally caught that super late on Friday, last race of the day at Oaklawn, and it got me ahead for the day. 
I was just feeling, I was like, what, you know, like I, there was, I just like, I want to bet something right now. I'm like, what's going on? Is there Remington? And I did, yeah. I, I like, luckily my, my wife pulled me away from the computer and, <laughs> and I didn't do anything Friday night. Uh, but then Saturday I was just, you know, just raring to go. I had like, you know, all this like excitement from the day before. And so I blew a ton of money early Saturday where, you know, had I gone in level headed, known that my stronger opinions weren't until later in the day. I would have saved money, but you know, again, I, I think racing has that. But because the actual gamble itself is not like a poker tournament or or, or any sort of poker game yeah. where you're sitting around for hours and hours, the actual like adrenaline that you get out of racing all happens within like a minute and a half to two minute <laughs> yeah. period. There's something about what it does to you that makes you want it again. It, it really is like a drug, and it's unlike any other drug in sports betting because it's so brief and it's so fleeting. But when it, it's good, it, it is it is the best high possible. I, it's kind of like when you're up twenty eight nothing in a football game. You're like, well, the horse, the the horse, the team was already you know minus sixteen on the line, so I'm really up by like forty points. <laughs> like this game is in the bag. Oh, let me wait three hours to collect my pay whereas like oh there's another horse race going off okay i've already made money let me go look at this race and it's just yes it's, it's incredible let's yeah. uh switch gears real quick you're talking about uh abr and obviously you were the founder of Denonymous racing which i had a great time writing for when you first started that what was your thought going into it did you ever think it would blow up like it did or was it kind of just like a a little pet project. It's funny. Um, I, I never thought that, um, you know, all these years later, like, like it's now almost 10 years, which is crazy. I mean, I think it launched in like 2012. So what mm -hmm. do we, we're, we're midway through 2020. So we're eight and a half years in. Um, and I did just, you know, finally shutter the site, um, mm -hmm. last year. And, you know, with the hope that maybe at some point we can revive it again, I just honestly just, just got pulled into too many different directions with different other, you know, other commitments that I had. So, couldn't keep running it. But um, no, when I first launched it, to be honest with you, um, it was one of these things where um, I was working in television. I was a TV news reporter, but um, I'd always been sort of a, a huge racing fan to begin with. And it, it was kind of like, it was just sort of a, a fun, um, just kind of way to, to, to distract myself from, from what I was doing and what was going on in life. And um, I, I thought, I, I kind of saw an opening with Twitter and uh, with social media to to really uh, leverage that to build a community uh, within or through a blog or a racing blog or racing space. And um, when I first started it, actually, to be honest, um, it was it was pretty much 50-50 between posting like my picks every day. So I would handicap a card. I'd lay out, you know, my top three picks for each race. Mm -hmm. I'd give a little bit of analysis. Um, and, you know, and that was it. And I would just, it would just live there on the website. You know, the website would get a couple of hundred hits, you know, uh, mainly through me sharing it uh, on Twitter. And it was 50-50 between that and then me utilizing to do something else that I love doing, which is just writing generally. And so I was writing just little, like, just sort of corny stories about fun experiences that I'd had at the races and, you know, memorable moments that I had at the track and, and kind of sharing those. And that, I think, was the more surprising thing in terms of how people gravitated toward that because once I put those stories out on Twitter, people were like, oh, my God, I remember that race. And mm -hmm. I, you know, oh, my God, I had, I had a similar feeling or experience, you know, when I saw, you know, Barbara win or whatever it was. And then so they would send in their stories. Be like, hey, can I write a story and send it to you and you put it on the website? I was like, sure, this is – I'm happy to do that. And then I think by building sort of a real community like that, that's what really made the the thing grow and blow up because, um, you know, 
you know, anybody can, can handicap and, and, and I think throw their, their picks on a website. But once you've got um, a community of people who feel really bought in, um, you're, it's almost to the point where the results don't necessarily matter because, as we know, like – if you have a bad day at the track or people are leaning on your picks, they might get pretty upset at you that you're posting <laughs> yeah. picks that aren't winning. <laughs> but if they feel like they're your friend, they're your neighbor, they have this shared sort of common interest and common bond, th- then they're less likely to blow up on you because they're not just relying on you for picks. So I've always told people since then, I you know, if you're going to build anything in racing and if you're thinking that you know the jumping off point is going to be handicapping or picks or analysis, that's great. Do that. But make sure you have something else. If you really want to build something that's sustainable, make sure you have something else because, um, you know, you're only as good as your as your last, you know, top pick winner, you know, um, and, you know, people will will turn on you pretty quickly if they don't get the sense that um, you're truly bought in. And so for me, it was just my love of racing, putting it down on paper or in this case, uh, a, a website, as it were, and um just kind of not knowing what the outcome would be, not really caring, just using it as a distraction. And then once it, it had grown to the point where it had opened up some other doors for me, it provided me with an opportunity to really shift my career from a uh, career in TV into something that I thoroughly enjoy a lot, a lot more. Uh, and that's, you know, a life in horse racing. One of the most amazing feelings I got was with Scott Shapiro. It was 2015. It was like a week before my birthday. And I he was looking for a Santa Anita handicapper. And I said, I've never written before. I have no idea how good I'll do, but I'm glad to do it. And he uh, he gave me a shot, did a bunch of work for him for Santa Anita, Keeneland. Then uh, John Piasek said, we're looking for people. I said, okay, I'd love a shot. He gave it to me. And then, lo and behold, a couple of years later, we kind of built the Daily Gallop up from a bunch of guys from the Bet Squad at Saratoga, and here we are today. It's, it's really cool to see. And I think what I've been amazed about, I mean, you got to remember, like, just the same way you kind of looked at yourself, you know, that, that first day and said, you know, look, I've never written, but I'll give this a swing, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm just a racing fan and I think this is fun. That's the same way. I, I'm pretty confident speaking for Scott. I mean, I could speak for Scott. I know him well enough. He felt the same way when he started, you know, his, his site. And I know I felt that way. It was like, we're not some like hotshot, you know, uh, long time, you know, industry expert, you know, who people are going to automatically be like, Ooh, like this person's talking like, we're just like regular dudes who mm-hmm. just like gambling and, and like horse racing and just love the whole experience of, of a day at the track or a day from home betting on the races. And so we were in those same shoes that you were in, and it's not like we uh, you know approached it any differently. So I think for us, it was definitely mind-blowing uh, as time went on to hear stories from people saying like, wow, thank you for giving me a chance and all this, because we were like, what do you mean giving you a chance? Like we were just talking about horse racing, you know, like we were just doing our thing, you know, like we weren't, we didn't, we didn't see this as, as opening a door for anybody or anything along those lines. You know, we're just having fun with it. And I think over time, if you haven't already started experiencing it, I think you'll start hearing from, from a lot of the people who, um, you know, you've opened doors for and you continue to open doors for, which is great. And I think that'll also blow your mind in that people see it as, you know, re- you really advocating for for them in, in a large way, which, of course, you know, you want to see everybody do well. But, you know, I think the way we all approached it was this is horse racing and we love it. So, you know, we're not doing anything special here. And um, but, you know, that being said, I mean, certainly there's a feeling of, of uh, you know, gratification. I think we all come away with and knowing that. Uh, that there are doors that have opened. I mean, you mentioned Scott. Obviously, Scott's gone on to do really, really big things. Um, with mm-hmm. Churchill Downs, um, you know, another person who, uh, you know, first time she wrote uh, on, on 
on any website. Candace Hare, she's on TBG now. <laughs> uh, wrote for my site back in the day. Acacia Courtney, I mean, who again? I mean, and, and I'm not taking credit for any of these people. These people were all had their hands in a million different things. But Acacia, one of the first things she ever wrote in, in horse racing uh, was 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 on my site, you know. And she's obviously uh, blown up big time with, with Gulfstream Park and. Uh, being you know everywhere really so it's really cool to see um, a lot of people who started out just like us um, who are you know kind of kind of moved on to do bigger and better things and um, certainly there's a feeling of gratification that that you get from it so yeah I wish I had a time machine to tell myself back in 2015 by the way when you write this in four or five years you're gonna have your own podcast with the guys from <laughs> what was probably I don't even know if the DRF podcast was around back then I know it was probably either like a thought but I mean, it's crazy to think that. And two, the the funny story is how I met J.K. and Pete to begin with was I went out the wrong door after Justify's Belmont win, and I went out like the VIP door to get. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong spot. Everybody here is way more famous than me. Let me go at least say hi to them and then go around and hopefully I don't. And I talked with them. I met up with them a bunch at Saratoga, and uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, no, knowing how heavy those guys go on big days, I would assume they also went out the wrong door, probably. After <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you say we get started? We're going to start with race number nine. It was an optional 40 claimer going a mile and 116th. What were your thoughts before the race? So, um, you know, th- this this was a race where um, you mentioned you were like on a live stream. I was on a live stream right when when this one was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I honestly didn't put as much time into this race as I had some of the stakes races. But I looked at it long enough to know that obviously uh, the three horse fearless was was a standout. You know, this horse won won a first level allowance at Gulfstream by eight eight and a half lengths. You know, came back in in the Grade Two uh, New Orleans handicap and you know finishes sixth. But you know had some trip trouble, and so you figure, I mean, here in a non two, and you know again this is something worth worth looking at. I mean, or or non three rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, Talking about um, understanding, you know, uh, basically, you know, different race types and 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 how um, how races are classified. I think for for a newbie or anybody who's just getting into the game, this is always a very tricky thing because you can look at this kind of race and be like, oh, this horse is coming out of an allowance race, and this horse is coming out of an allowance, or this one's coming out of a stakes race, and there's no distinction made between the various allowance levels. Um, and so you had a couple of horses who had sort of murky um sort of past performances that you could look at and and kind of say hey you know what this was this was a really good race but it was a first level allowance and so you know obviously um at the non two level um they haven't been tested before um this is a horse who has been has run well at that level and now you know should excel at this level so i think understanding and really um kind of picking through uh, the different levels of of of, of race type specifically allowances um, will really, I think, help illuminate things for people over time. So anyhow, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, all that to say, um, Fearless looked like a standout on paper and I think went off about even money. And I didn't really see a scenario in which Fearless wasn't going to win. Um, a horse that I liked in this race was Sunny Smack, uh, finished behind Poplar Kid, who was drawn down on the rail here, uh, finished behind that horse last out. And I know, you know, Poplar Kid was going to take some money, had, you know, Rosario up. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe, you know, Sunny Smack is sort of the, 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 the lesser of, of the, in terms of how attractive they might be publicly. Maybe we give a shot to this horse, been in decent form, uh, hasn't broken through at two starts at the level. 
Um, and, you know, you did look through, and, and if you had a chance to look at some of those races, the horse was pretty wide um, in, 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 his last two, uh, in his last two tries. And so, again, I thought maybe with a better trip, this is a horse if he goes off at 10 to 1, could be, could be a player. As far as the eventual winner, I mean, look, <laughs> um, I, I, th- th- there's a lot we can talk about. I don't know if you want to play the race first, uh, but it was certainly not, not high on my list. We can definitely play the race in a little bit. Uh, the top three choices for me, Fearless, you say it was such a standout. To me, it was kind of an interesting spot as well because you see a horse with three kind of separator buyers, a high 70, high 90, and high 80. And it was kind of, to me, like, which horse are we going to get today? Popular kid, the number one. With First of all, I mean, Joel, I think when we did the live stream last week, uh, one of my friends said he's 24 for 33 in the money. I mean, he just has been crushing it in Oakland. That horse was in some super form coming off two wins and a nice close second and an optional 50K. And then you have rotation who was coming off two top buyers back-to-back, which usually for mm-hmm. me is a bounce candidate type thing. It's funny because I, when I look through the race – I had circled the 12, and I think the only reason why I had done so was he was improving a little bit in buyers. It it was weird to see Joe Sharp drop him two races back, and then the horse went on to win with an improving buyer. When a good claiming trainer comes in and then kind of reclaims and jumps the horse back up, it made me think that maybe Joe Sharp had made the mistake because Joe Sharp is a very good trainer, but there's just certain trainers that have the good percentages in the claiming ranks that just make them a little bit of a better claim. Like Linda would be a great person for me mm-hmm. to think of in New York. So seeing Diodoro jump him up and then for the horse to take no money mm-hmm. completely made me shy away from him. What did you do from a wagering standpoint? Did you bet anything in this race or was it kind of just a pass and watch? Um, yeah, for me, a lot of my action was loaded up in the later races. I think I did something along the lines of like, I, I did like a $2 um, exacto with a couple of horses on top. I had Fearless on top and I think Sunny Smack on top. And then underneath, um, I, I can't remember exactly. I, I know I used Poplar Kid. I mm-hmm. might have thrown in rotation as well. It was like a $12 ticket. It was nothing too sexy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing that, that, that I think is worth mentioning here is that, you know, anytime I start handicapping a race, I think anybody should do this too, uh, especially if they're new to the game, is it, you, you try to project pace. And, and I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. And to me, at least, um, I, saw, I saw the pace potentially being pretty fast. Um, I thought um, from the rail, Poplar Kid, who uh, had you know certainly shown some pace in the past, at least going longer with the rail, was going to go. Um, that doesn't happen. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so that changes thing. Things I can tell you one that's sneaky is Extirpator, right? You look at Extirpator coming out of a six furlong race, where um, if you just kind of read through. Uh, read through the PPs, you're looking at him being a couple lengths behind and then being 10 lengths behind as they get, you know, they turn for home and then mm-hmm. he obviously gets blown out, last out, but is never really on the lead, but he's always like a length or two off. But then you look at some of the fractions, uh, even in some of the races going longer. I mean, two back went with going a mile, went 22 and three, 46 and one. He's only a length off off the lead. So, but that's a horse. If you just quickly glance at the PPs, you're not going to ever figure that horse is going to be on the lead. Um, but that's a sneaky one who I figured that one will probably be on the lead. Um, and then you had a couple of others. Mo Gotcha is one who, 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 who had speed before. Um, and then the one to his outside, the 11 home run trick, 
was another one who, again, from the 11 post, uh, you figure w was going to be sent. And so those were the ones that I figured would be on the lead and, and they, they'd be duking it out. So at least for that portion of it, um, I think I, I end up reading things pretty correctly and I think you should do that. But I thought it would set up for multiple horses coming from off the pace and this is where, again, you know, paying attention to the track and the distance and, and looking at how a track is playing throughout the day helps, um, you know. And, and then, again, trips matter um, as it relates to fearless. Um, you, you certainly can't be off the screen uh, as they're turning for home and expect to win no matter how good you are, no matter how fast the pace is. Um, so I think you got to consider all those factors. And for me, the way I saw it setting up was, um, you know, I thought a horse coming from off the pace would win it because they'd be going so fast early. And for me, I think my value play in this race was going to be Sunny Smack because I thought, you know, uh, with a little bit of a cleaner trip, he'd shown enough potential running into, you know, running into at least uh, the, the picture in his last few races, um, especially the two-back race where there was very little pace on at all and still, you know, rallied to finish second, four lanes beaten. So that was my thinking going into the race. I feel that for me, wagering, I, I know that I had talked about the 12 a little bit. Um, I think I had gotten up and I'm like, oh, I'll be back in time to, you know, put like a little $2 wager on. And I don't, and I had also gotten my butt kicked for the whole front end of the card as well. And I was just a little bit gun shy. Yeah. And it's so funny when you see a horse at 57 to one, you should be less gun shy than when you're betting a horse like fearless. So let's check out Vic Stoffer with the call and see if I made the wrong decision or if Dan Torchman can get his exactas home right now. They're off. Good start for Exterpiter and Home Run Trick. Dumpf is in the center. Then comes Proverb and Rotation. Just outside of those two goes Mogacha. Those are the six quickest. Exterpiter and Home Run Trick are one, two. Dumpf is three deep. Mogacha's in fourth. Then comes Proverb and Rotation. Popular kid is Midpack. He is joined by Eskin for it. And just inside of him, it's Lord Guinness. Then it's two lengths further back to Sunny Smack and Fearless. And the trailer is always to the backstretch with Exterpiter and Home Run Trick 1-2. Exterpiter, three-quarters of a length. Home Run Trick is second by a length and a quarter to Mogacha and Dumpf. Rotation has a good striking position. No excuses for rotation off that trip. He's fifth and about five from the front, two in front of Eskin for it. Lord Guinness and Proverb have nine lengths to make up. Popular Kid is 12 from the lead. Sonny Spack is next. Fearless is second to last, and he's got to be 15 or 16 out of it. Fearless has got to go from there and always is the trailer they round the far turn exterpiter and home run trick are still one two exterpiter ahead in front of home run trick in second dump to the outside is third and he's on the move mogacha just in behind them then it's rotation he is fifth but still five from the front sunny smack is about to join him to the outside and we have a new leader and it's dump off the top of the turn here comes dump to take over a lead of two lengths over home run trick in second sunny smack has moved up into third mogacha's fourth dump has a final furlong to get. Fearless is flying now from the back of the pack. He's made up about 10 of the 15, but Dumpf is well in front. Fearless is going to run up into second. Dumpf and Fearless, it is Dumpf at 57 to 1. And the number 12, Dumpf, gets it done for Orlando Mojica and Robertino Diodoro, paying $117 with a low 90 buyer. Dan, I made a mistake by not playing this horse. <laughs> Look, they burn uh, when they happen that way. Um, I, I, I never in a million years um, expected Dump to be that close to the pace, knowing all the speed that was drawn immediately to his inside. I, mm -hmm. I thought he'd be he'd be 
tracking maybe, you know, third flight, maybe, you know, five lengths off. But he ended up, you know, being rushed out of the gate for speed. Um, he ended up tracking a lot closer to the pace. It was, was basically third into the turn. He took the turn a bit wide. And none of that seemed to matter. I mean, he, he, off of that trip, I was like, "There's no way this horse <laughs> is, is gonna is gonna kick on." Uh, but you know, look, as as we said, Extirpator ended up showing speed. Home Run Trick ended up showing speed. Um, we didn't get the speed from Poplar Kid that I thought we'd get. Um, and the biggest variable was um, Fearless just being so far back. Um, I think if you look at you know, if they run that race a hundred times, you hear this a lot in race. If they run that race a hundred times, Fearless probably wins it 95 times. <laughs> um, even with the way things set up for Dump, just because Fearless was just way, way, way too far back. Sunny Smack, you know, got a much better trip this time, did rally, finished third, did me no good, but, um, you know, that was one who I liked, and so I, I could walk away feeling good about that. You know, and Dump, interesting history i mean after the fact i mean and this is the red board re so we can so do we can this all day long <laughs> you know um the horse has you know i mean they had high hopes for this horse in the beginning mm -hmm. uh one you know is one on debut well came back won the juvenile stallion stakes at churchill on his second start he did go on to lose his next 18 races uh, but to be fair, it always had, you know, again, high hopes for him, ran in the Kentucky Jockey Club, the Springboard Mile, the Risen Star, the Tampa Bay Derby. I mean, he hadn't been competitive in a while, but you, you know the horse had talent from the beginning um, and did post, you know, talking about buyers there a little earlier, you know, posted in 82 and 85, his two best numbers in a while, both at Churchill last year. And then, you know, coming back and posting that 82, I mean, I, I guess you could have realistically expected another good effort um and 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 that's what you got and and look there there's something to be said you know um for for Diodoro claiming i mean the the reality is um you know you, you can make of it what you will um he's moved up horses that uh certainly um haven't seemed like they were destined to move up quite the way they have i'll i'll say that and um you know you just got to be aware of those things and that's where kind of watching paying close attention to a circuit paying close attention to trainers and, and how, you know, you know, how they're improving horses or not improving horses, um, how those things come into play. And, and I could tell you if, um, you know, I, I don't know who, you know, pick a trainer out of the air, but if that person claims dump at some point in six months off of Diodoro, I won't be betting that horse. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, extrapolate that from that what you will. Uh, but you got to pay attention to those kinds of moves. Who's claiming from whom, and 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 you know where are they where are they dropping these horses is these horses in going from a thirty thousand dollar claimer non three into this you know really really salty allowance. Um, it, it's it's a huge class jump, and and you don't often see uh, the horses you know excel quite the way this one did. And it was strange going earlier in the week. I forget it was it was another Diodora horse, and I, I said you know obviously Mojica and. Uh, Cohen or his top two riders I said I said to Marshall I said tell me what he is dropping with both of them and tell me I bet you that, that it's a really strange number and he was actually like 25% I think with both but Mohica had a positive ROI and Cohen didn't and so now it mm. seems like whenever I saw Mohica and him together it just seems like he's getting on just the more live horses that people don't realize maybe 
David Cohen is just a much bigger name out there than Orlando Mojica, although Cohen hasn't been doing that well in the last couple of years. That's interesting, you know, and then that's another interesting variable where, you know, I know I've heard you mention, you know, that you, you use Formulator. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Stats Race Lens a lot. Um, you could really um, nail down a lot of these things, customize searches like that, um, how certain trainers do with certain jockeys. You could even search by class, by distance, by race type, by um you know, by, by surface, dirt or turf. Um, and so you find, you start finding those things. And you're like, Oh, that's curious. Like I always, you know, you might think like, you know, back in the day it was always like Pletcher Velasquez, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, these guys are high percentage and must be a great bet. But when you look at them, you realize that even though they went at a high percentage, the ROI isn't quite what you'd hope for, what you'd think. And then you looked at, you know, when Pletcher would go with Castellano, um, you know, uh, he, he'd hit, and this is, you know, I'm talking like, you know, late you know late you know 2009 2010 mm-hmm. 2011 when, when you're looking at um really castellano starting to emerge as as a, as a big time rider um you know you look at how even though he wasn't getting as many rides for pletcher or you know wasn't riding his top horses he would win and the roi was a lot higher so then you start paying attention to those and, and there are lots of those situations with trainers across the country right now where They've got their first call jockeys who, you know, um, you know, until it becomes obvious that 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 rider is 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 not riding every winter, people are going to only bet when that rider is riding. But then occasionally the other rider sort of sneaks up and you're like, oh, you know what? They're not winning at, at quite the same rate or, or, you know, maybe it is close. But this one is the one who, you know, who can bring home a bomb. And so um it, it, it is a it's it sort of it's a little in the weeds, especially if you're just starting out. But when you're using programs like Stats Race Lens or Formulator, you can really do these searches that show you how um, these trainers and jockeys match up and when they're likely to hit on a big price. What do you say we switch gears? Let's get into the nitty gritty of the card. It was Oaklawn Park Race 11. It's the first rendition of the Arkansas Derby going a mile and one eighth. And it brings back the Bob Baffert monster known as Charlatan. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what else can you say about this horse? So I first handicapped this race um, a full like five days like mm-hmm. right right as right, right when when the race was drawn like I I just handicapped it and I was like you know what um, this horse is probably gonna is probably gonna win but I saw shooter shoot um, the the way he ran um, in the allowance in his allowance win uh, back in early April uh, holding off Blackberry Wine of course is a really nice horse. Uh, but how fast he was, um, you rarely see uh, horses with pressure go 45 and four, 109 and four, and and hang in, especially with that rail spot where they're taking all that heat the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, if he goes that fast, he give Charlton a little bit of trouble. I mean, especially if he's drawn outside of him, he could box him in. Yeah. He could kind of you know get the jump on him. You know, certainly fast enough to go with him. Which I was like, okay, this is good. And unfortunately, this is something that you got to pay attention to, like. A lot of times as handicappers, we build out a race scenario in your mind and in, in our minds, and we think, okay, this is how it's gonna play out. Even if there even, even if something changes, like shoot or shoot eventually scratching, um, you're still a little, little hesitant to move off of it because the scenario you've built up in your mind is so perfect. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the scenario I built up in my mind was that shoot or shoot was gonna press Charlton all the way, and that basin was gonna rally, um, was gonna be sitting, you know, third behind them. And was going to either win or or finish second to Charlatan. And so um, that sounded good to me all week. Um, one shooter shoots scratch. Of course, I was a little less confident that that was going to happen. 
but I thought Basin was ready to run an absolutely huge race. Um, I went back, and this this is a case where watching replays will really, really help you. I love when I land on a horse who, going into the race, go like starting to handicap, and I thought I would have no interest in, and that was Basin for me. I'm like, I am not touching Basin. Like that <laughs> horse is just gross. Like I am not betting Basin. I I don't like Basin at all. I watched the replays, and I notice just looking at Basin's action, the way he's he's actually running in his last two races, in the Rebel and in the Oakland Stakes, he's down on the rail, he's climbing, he's unhappy, he's taking dirt in the face, he's not liking it. You could tell the jocks are, are trying to shift him out, and, and they're trying to, to get him happy and to settle down, but he doesn't, he just looks miserable. And then, you know, lacks running room in the, in the Rebel Stakes, finally gets clear, makes a little bit of a move, but you could tell, this is a horse who can run all day, He's, you know, distance isn't, isn't his issue. It's all about him settling down, becoming more mature and finding the right part of the track to run on. This is a horse who clearly in my mind did not want to be on the rail in his last two races. When I saw him draw 11, I was like, perfect. This is where he wants to be. He's going to be in the clear. He's going to get a nice stalking trip. And, you know, this is one instance where I was dead right in the way I saw it, um, working out for basin. Unfortunately, without anyone to press Charlton, um, I knew it would be it would be tough, so um, you know I had to try to get creative if I was going to make money on this race, um, and I did okay on this race. But um, I to get back to the point I was making earlier about not leaving, um, you know, kind of wanting to be bold based on an opinion that I formed earlier in the week. I ended up singling Basin in my pick five, which in retrospect was absolutely silly. Um, I should not have done that. Um, and in fact, I, I knew it was silly that so silly that right before the race, I tweeted, uh, guys, I single, I'm single to base in here. How did I land here? I know this is not a smart thing. And then I did a saver pick four where I, I actually singled Charlatan. So I bet against myself. Uh, but just because I realized with the way the track was playing and the way the track usually plays at Oak Lawn with no pressure, pressure on Charlton at all he was probably going to wire. And so I did a small saver pick four for like 24 bucks, mm-hmm. which ended up not hitting. But um, I knew um, that I wanted to have some protection in case, um, you know, Charlton didn't, you know, something unforeseen didn't happen, you know, which is what I was essentially banking on one shooter shoot scratched. The fact that it seemed like everybody that I talked to on Twitter from who I, who I think are pretty good handicapper, a lot of people were on base and I'm like, why is this horse still nine to one in the wagering? Governor Morris to me just seemed like that mid-80s horse that everyone thought was going to be good and would just never improve. Obviously, Charlatan, 106, 105, he was like 1-5 to five for most of the wagering. Ended up going off, I believe, 2-5. to five. Mm-hmm. The horse that I had bet in the Rebel or uh, in the Risen Star was Anandior, and I just thought mm-hmm. that race is just too bad to be true. And one of my <laughs> friends brought up a really good point. He says, if you look at the other three races, Thousand Words, Storm the Court, those horses didn't really progress either from two to three. So why would you take, and I'm like 10 to one, man, if this horse wins at 10 to one, I might as well just, you know, jump off the bridge at that point. <laughs> so I, I kind of had negatives against the other ones that were taking money or at least under, you know, 10 to one. I said, let me go with this one. Let me give him one more try. I played him underneath Charlton and exact as I played him to win. And let's see what Vic Stoffer thinks with the call here for the Arkansas Derby right now. They're off. Charlatan broke perfectly. 
and goes to the front from Basin and winning impression away second and third. Momosa and Governor Morris are next, then my friends Beer and Anno Dor. Crypto Cash and the early trailer is Jungle Runner. An uncontested early and easy lead for the big favorite Charlatan as Martin Garcia puts him already in a nice cruising speed and he leads by two lengths from Basin who is much closer to the pace today in second. Anno Dor is three deep in third and two from the front. Governor Morris and Momosa are fourth and fifth. They're three and a half behind the front-running favorite, Charlatan. Two and a half lengths back to My Friend's Beer. Then it's Crypto Cash. Jungle Runner is the trailer. Up the backstretch in the 84th Arkansas Derby. And Charlatan has gotten away to a very nice, smooth, and sharp first five furlongs. No excuses today for Charlatan. He is a half mile from the money. He gallops along two lengths in front of Basin and and Odor. Momosa's at the rail. Still fourth, but he's all in. Governor Morris is too. Then it's three and a half back to winning impression. My friend's beer. And way at the back of the pack are Crypto Cash and Jungle Runner. Charlatan is now set down and he is moving beautifully. Charlatan now a quarter mile from Arkansas Derby Glory and he leads by four lengths. Basin continues to run in second. Governor Morris is third. Then to the outside and Anno Dor final furlong. Left-handed whips for Charlatan and he leads. It's a three-length advantage over Basin who is running his heart out, but he is just not good enough and Charlatan is going to run them off their feet and win the Arkansas Derby. And lo and behold, Charlatan gets it done under 2-5 to five, I believe is what I said, and the buyer was a 96. Thoughts on the race, Dan? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it, it, there were no real surprises up top for me. Um, and I told you the way I played it, um, where I tried to make a little bit of money back, um, is that I, I did, I, I, I played an exacta. I, I knew it wasn't going to pay a whole lot. Um, you know, I was looking at the, the, the probables and, and I was like, you know, this is not going to be great, but I want to make some cash in case I get knocked out of this pick five. So I ended up just doing like a $20 straight exact as Charlton Basin. Mm -hmm. And then I played it back the other way for 10 bucks, um, which is a little less, but, um, I thought, you know what, if, you know, if I do advance here in the pick five, I want to have a a little bit of money coming out of this race too. The other thing I did was, is that I played a dollar superfecta, which I've been doing more often where I, I key one horse on top, maybe two horses underneath, two horses underneath that, and then I go all. So I'm looking at like anywhere from like a $12 to $24 ticket or sometimes like $30 ticket depending on how many horses in the race. And I went Charlatan, Basin, Crypto Cash, and then Governor Morris and Anador. And so, oh, and then I, and at the last moment, I threw in Winning Impression too, who, you know, made that late move up mm-hmm. the rail. Um, and so unfortunately I didn't have governor Morris in the, uh, in the third spot. Um, I had crypto cash there and, um, you know, I thought governor Morris, that horse really blows my mind. Like I, I, I also tweeted about this the other day, like that horse was under a ride from like the gate. Absolutely. And, <laughs> 100%. and I thought that, you know, like turning for home was going to finish last. And somehow when they, you know, when they posted the numbers, he was still there. I mean, I thought winning impression coming up the rail was going to finish second, let alone finish yeah. fourth. Um, had winning impression finished third, the way I played it, I would have hit the super for a little less. Like I, I think I did another like 20 cent exacta with winning impression in that third spot. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, Governor Morris, I, I, I don't know what to make of that horse. I don't know if it's a lack of maturity, a lack of focus, or it, if it's just, you know, the fact that, you know, he's a horse that will need uh, the perfect setup without having, you know, without running into buzzsaws like, like Charlton or even Basin as well as he ran. Obviously ran into Tis the Law last out and, you know, I thought was, you know, had a lot of work to do chasing down like, you know, the top three that I think ran one, two, three the whole way around. So, um, you know, I, I think later in the year might show better things for Governor Morris, but but he does need to kind of take that next step and 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 really know that, that when the jock's scrubbing on him, it means that he's supposed to go at that point. <laughs> the, uh, so that's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. The new Barry Meadow book came out, I believe, last year. It's just one of the things he says in the book is for dirt racing, you're trying to figure out uh, which horses will improve, and you're t- like it's that specific part of handicapping that will help you end up on contenders better. So when you look at Basin, he had a 79 last time out and ran an 87, so he improved eight points. Unless if you thought that this was the next secretary in Charlatan, this horse was going to bounce. He was going to bounce and probably still win, which ended up happening. He went from a 106 down to a 96, was his actual buyer, not 98. And for me, you know, and then Dior, if he crossed out that 66, I'm hoping he's going to run something in the low to mid-90s, and he ran 81. So the best horse, if for people who are looking at it, when you're looking at the race afterwards, is trying to find horses like Basin that will improve that 6-7 points. Because really the only way you were going to make money out of this race wasn't playing charlatan in pick fives and pick fours. It was finding the horse underneath in the exacta. Yeah. Yeah, look, I- I'm going to tell you a couple of things that are, that are sort of maybe a little contradictory. Um, and one of them is a little bit of a hot take, and I'm sure if anyone's listening, they'll probably send me hate mail after this. <laughs> if, if Shooter Shoot had run in this race, Basin would have won the race. Um, I, I truly believe that um, race racing is all about pace. Charlatan was not as fast early um, as Shooter Shoot would have been had Shooter Shoot run the race that he ran um, last out in that allowance. And he would have taken steady pressure. Basin would have had a perfect setup. And you wouldn't have seen Charlton going as fast late as he was going because he would have had to have been used mm-hmm. up earlier. So that's the first thing I'd say um, where I have no regrets coming out of this race um, except for the fact that I was just a bit stubborn in singling Basin in the pick five. Um, but that being said, you know that was my opinion. I went with it and now I'll live with it. But I feel good about the fact that I was on the right horse with Basin. When- if they face each other again, uh, depending on race dynamics, here's the second comment that, that might seem like it's not compatible with the first comment. Depending on how the race sets up, I might like Charlatan better than Basin, even though, you know, as you just laid out, mm-hmm. uh, Basin is the horse who seemed to be taking the step in the right direction. Charlatan maybe took a little bit of a step back. I think Charlatan's a better horse, um, and I think Basin, um, when you look at form cycles, that was his third race off the layoff, third race of this year. That was a peak effort for him. I think he might have another good one in the bank, um, but I think him on his best day going against Charlatan um, on his best day, and I think he'll expect an improved effort next time from Charlatan, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think he contends with Charlatan. So again, it all depends on, on pace dynamics and, and how the race you know sets up. And if there are four horses that are going to press Charlatan, then fine. Then maybe I'd, I'd say, hey, give Basin a shot. But all things being equal, um, I'm more likely to think that Charlatan has a better chance at winning next time. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody out there, but that's kind of the way um, I I walk away from this race. 
I will say this is the last comment before the next race. If you're looking to get into replays and want to know what a horse on the lead looks like when he's going real easy, watch Charlatan in this race. <laughs> Ears pricked, looking around, doesn't have a care in the world, and I'm not the foremost person on race replays. I actually, it's, it's almost like not that it's too tedious for me, but I just don't have the time right now to be able to get in there. But, I mean, talking with guys like Benny Southstreet, I mean, you'll get gained so much information. on. I mean, that horse was just incredibly relaxed on the lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that and that plays into how fast they're running mm -hmm. at the end of the race. Um, and so, you know, I would have loved if for nothing else. I would have loved to have seen a little bit of pace pressure from somebody else. So we would know what this horse is really made of. And, and you know, if he's got we haven't seen him tested yet. So we don't know if he has that heart. You know, we don't know if if he has that ability and maybe he does. And, and he might very well have that heart. Uh, but for now, we still don't know. We, we still don't know if he can look another horse in the eye and. And, and, and see the wire and get there first. Let's move on to the last race, and it was actually my favorite race of the entire card, race number 12 at Oaklawn Park, mile and eighth. It was the grade two Oaklawn handicap. Dan, tell me you're still not a fan of this Tacitus horse that I don't understand how he could even be four to one in this race. No, I, I didn't touch Tacitus. I mean, I, I've had, uh, you know, I've gone down that road enough, and uh, the way I looked at this was, A, I don't want to go down that road again. Mm -hmm. And B, um, you know, I, I, we also haven't really seen these horses coming back from Saudi Arabia. Like we, there was always like for a long time, there was always that whole like coming back from Dubai. And, you know, that first race back was always bad and all that. And, you know, I, I figure the same sort of thing, um, especially, you know, I mean, the horse just hasn't been seen, has been kind of put away for a while. And now like, you know, it's back out and. Again, the, the horse didn't need any other variables in my mind to be to be less predictable, and so um, I decided to just pass on Tacitus. I, disappointingly, I landed on a horse who is kind of, in, in a lot of ways, though without the same hype as Tacitus, a horse who's disappointed. I think race after race, and that's Bravazo. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't my top pick, but I did just through watching replays. I came up with um, a couple of excuses with him that were not as clear just by reading um, the trip notes. And I thought that, you know, in terms of class, he had a ton of back class. And, and I thought that, you know, again, I could find enough excuses on replays to say, you know what, if things worked out just perfectly for him, he could at least run into a share. Um, so he was one that I had toward the top. The horse that I fell in love with, and again, this is another scenario in which I went into the race, like, automatically, like in my mind, putting like a mental line through the horse saying, I don't like betting this horse. I've never liked betting this horse, and I don't plan on betting this horse. But then I ended up watching replay and saying, you know what, I'm betting this horse. Um, that horse was tax. Um, and I'm, you know, d don't ask, <laughs> like, <laughs> like how, how, how heavily I invested in tax. But I, like every way imaginable, you know, on top and, you know, tries over, you know, everybody and supers and, and, and singles and, and pick threes and, and all the rest of it. Um, and my main, my sort of guiding logic was um, the horse had run some really good races at the distance on Lasix, uh, was off Lasix at the, for the Pegasus World Cup. That race was, you know, posted uh, his lowest buyer, had an 83 buyer there coming out of a 101 of the Discovery last time's at a mile and an eighth over a fast track. So from a 101 to an 83, I mean, look, something happened there. The horse didn't just become a bad horse in, in, a, in a month and a half. Yeah. Um, being able to point to the fact that he was off Lasix in the Pegasus World Cup um, and, and the fact that that might have been what caused such a you know, dramatic, you know, um, 
kind of decrease in, in his output, I, I thought for me made a lot of sense, uh, especially when I looked at like a horse like also like Mr. Freeze, who, you know, obviously ran a very good Pegasus World Cup. And that was without Lasix and then gets back on Lasix and jumps seven buyer points in winning the Gulfstream Park Mile goes to tell you, like, look, these horses, you take them off Lasix, you're going to see a decrease generally. And then you put them back on Lasix and you see, like, again, it's like it's like a turbo boost. You, you like those horses. And so I was like, you know, look, if I'm getting 10, 15, 20 to one on this horse, I love tax all day. And I also loved him from a pace perspective. I actually thought he was going to get the the trip that dump and ended up getting the other day mm-hmm. it was going to be stalking uh you know about two wide maybe three wide i thought he had a lot of speed um inside and, and maybe even a little outside of him by my standards i thought could could cross over um and i thought that that he would just have a lot more reserve coming in fresh and so uh, that was my thinking at least going into the race and i also like mr freeze a little bit since i like tax i was like i gotta like mr freeze so it was Tax, Mr. Freeze, and Bravazo were my were my top three here. The thing with Bravazo is, tell me how many horses you see with three wins that are almost you know two million dollars in earnings. I, I don't think mm-hmm. there's many of them out there from mm-hmm. that standpoint. For me, this race ended up being I ended up doing a little win Dutch. Uh, Warriors Charge was the first one. Mostly, it's uh, the ten strike racing crew within the money. You know, got to root on those guys. I just like the way the horse was coming in out of the Razorback. You know, Florent has been one of the more aggressive riders. So I thought in what – and I don't know yet about the bias because I haven't really talked to people who I trust with this yet. It really felt like a – not a speed bias, but you had to definitely be like in the top four quartet to really end up doing yep. anything. Uh, a lot of guys, a couple guys in the live stream said Mr. Freeze was their bet of the day. The other horse I ended up, which was a uh, disagree, not really a disagreement, but Benny hated the combatant races. I didn't mind them. I just thought that coming out of the, the handicap – this horse, 101 buyer, the only horse that came out of the race had dropped down to an allowance and won, so there was at least a little bit of class. The last workout was fantastic. You get Joel, who seems to be outriding every single person in that colony, and when you look at the final odds on both of these horses, one six to one, the other one's you know seven to one, against a field like this that is just so wide open, and the morning and the favorite is seven to two. I just was thought like the public doesn't know who to bet. I can take two here at decent odds, still make some money for it. So you ended up, I, I told you, you said not to ask, but I got to ask. So tax was in everything. And then Bravazo was more of like an underneath use. Yeah. Bravazo was underneath. I mean, I, I did a couple of boxes where I did like, you know, I'll do like a, a cheapy, like exact box mm-hmm. with like my top three choices in a race like this. Cause I thought like, you know, if things got a little crazy, you know, maybe we could catch like a 30 or 40 to one on top. And I was like, if that happens, I don't want to lose because I'm, you know, exactly, use, you know, Provazo, who I thought would be that horse. Um, so yeah, so that's where I went. And, um, you know, uh, the eventual winner here, uh, I, you know, I, I think we all just overthought this a little bit. <laughs> I think we all did a hundred percent. Let's, uh, so, yeah, that, that was my take on it, I, you know, going into it and, you know, I, I thought if anything, I thought that the eventual winner would be the horse who was who was, you know, who was backing up. I knew I knew that he would be top flight. I, I just thought he would be the one who would be backing up and and not my horse who was who was back on Lasix. One thing that I'll point out, and, and I'll just say this real quick, is that, you know, with tax, um, it's important to note that Kendrick Carmouche was riding uh, for Danny Gargan, which is something that I actually liked going into the weekend. Mm-hmm. He's he's Danny's. Um, first call rider um and i thought that you know it it was a good sign to see him traveling for this race and for the weekend 
Um, but the other thing to note that I didn't factor in as much that I should have, um, and that everybody should like, especially now, like, I mean, because of coronavirus, Carmouche hadn't ridden a race in like over a month. Mm-hmm. Same um, with Johnny V, I Castellano believe as well. had coronavirus. He didn't, he hadn't been riding for a month and a half and you could tell in a couple of different spots. I mean, Castellano got like, just it, it like, unlike Castellano got, got outridden to the finish in mm-hmm. a couple of races this weekend. And I, I think the same, I mean, in terms of rust, I mean, I, I thought Kendrick looked, looked fairly rusty on a couple of rides. So um, that's just something, you know, another variable that, you know, we probably should take into consideration, especially in the coming weeks. Um, as you see some of these riders who haven't been riding for a while, when they first come back, they're not going to be right. You know, they're not going to jump back in and just and ride to their to their peak form. Let's see. The, let's see who wins this Oakland handicap. It is a horse that me and Dan did not talk about. Vic Stoffer with the call right now. They're off. By my standard show speed, Warriors Charge is absolutely sent, and Warriors Charge going to make the lead. By my standards, and Mr. Freeze second and third, Trophy Chaser and Chess Chief at the rail. Tax moves up on the outside. Combatant is just in behind horses. He's a handful for Rosario early. Tacitus is outside of him, and further out is Night Ops, and those three kind of bounced off each other at the seven furlong marker. Then comes Identifier, followed by Captivating Room, and a Sky Promise is desperate. Desperately last as they turn into the backstretch. In a 74th Oakland handicap, Warriors Charge wanted the lead, and he's got the job done. Warriors Charge, a length and a quarter from By My Standards in a second. Then comes Tax outside of Trophy Chaser. He's at the rail for Sammy Camacho and two from the front. Mr. Freeze is fifth, and he's in striking position in the clear. No excuses from that spot for Mr. Freeze. Bravazo has seven lengths to make up. Tacitus and Night Ops are next. Chess Chief is at the rail. Combatant is about nine lengths behind, and he's in a bit of trouble leaving the backstretch again. Three and a half back to Captivating Moon. Identifier and Sky Promise. They round the far turn. Warriors Charge has the lead. By my standards is second. Tax is three wide in third. Here comes Mr. Freeze with a four wide rush after the front. He's within two and a half lengths of the lead. Night Ops and Taxidus are next. By my standards has put his head in front. Warriors Charge battles on. Mr. Freeze is set down by Joe Tal. He's a length and a half behind. By my standards and Warriors charge. By my standards between horses. Warriors charge. Mr. Freeze no better than third. By my standards. Warriors charge. By my standards wins the Oakland handicap. By my standards, the 12 horse wins with a 102 buyer. One of my friends in the live stream says that this horse could be up for horse of the year with everything going on. Do you think it's something as simple as that? Or you think the horse just kind of tripped out? No, no, I think he's definitely, uh, he's gotten, he's off to the right start. If you want to start talking about horse of the year, he's definitely, he's winning the big races. I mean, this was like, you know, look, this was the, the this was the big older division race that, that we've had this month and, and that we'll have this month. Um, and that we've had probably in a couple of months. I mean, this was the, the Pegasus world cup was a big one. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, the first part of the year, this was like the second quarter big race. Um, and I, I thought he ran huge. Um, look, there's not much you can say. I, I think he needed to, to prove himself outside of the fairgrounds. Um, he hadn't really uh, done that before. I hadn't really been tested outside of the fairgrounds. Um, and the only time he had was, was really at Churchill in the Derby. And obviously he didn't run that well. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think it's super impressive for me. What I do with every race when I handicap is I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I look at how pace is going to play out. 
And so I take notes on each horse. I'll even type them out sometimes because I find that I remember them better and I kind of get a better feel for the entire race. So I'm actually typing them out as I'm going along horse by horse watching their replays. Um, and so for me, I, what I also do is at the end of each horse's notes, I write weakness. And then I put, here's what's going to probably work against them. And so for by my standards, I wrote weakness, post draw. Mm -hmm. um, he might get hung out a little wide. Um, if tax goes to his inside, he'll definitely go, get hung out a little wide. Warrior's charge will be on the lead. Things could get trickier if improbable cuts over. So these were notes that I took, you know, before the improbable scratch. Um, you know, maybe improbable not being there helped him out a little bit because that was going to be an additional pressure, I think, on or near the front end. Um, so all things that you've got to, you know, kind of constantly, you got to take these notes and you got to go back and reevaluate them based on scratches. And you got to reevaluate them, as you said, man, like once you see how the track is playing, um, you know, those, those factors, th those were not, by the way, I have weaknesses for, for other horses written out that are a lot more like, you know, scathing. So <laughs> those were not terrible weaknesses. And when you look at them within the context of the day and how the day had shaped out and how the track was playing and with the scratch of improbable, he made plenty of sense, I thought. So, um, our bad for, for not using him. <laughs> I agree with that. It's, you talk about weaknesses. I think even like when you look at a track like Belmont coming up, some of those turf races where they start right on that first turn for the longer races, it, the horse could have the best form, best jockey, best class rating. If he's in post 13 and that post is 0 for 30 so far for the meet, you really must have a horse that might not just be the best on the day, but has to put through that, you know, secretariat Belmont level type of race to really win the race. So something is, you know, you could spend two hours handicapping a little sequence and you like a horse that, you know, it's going to be three to one, probably the favorite. The post position could be everything and just making that horse a complete toss from the race to begin with. And that's something that a lot of people, you know, they just look in the form and some of the form doesn't have the post position stuff. So it's always good to try and figure out that kind of stuff and really to just follow that one or two track circuit that you're trying to follow. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you follow, I mean, if you follow Oaklawn, you know, it's automatic. I think for people like us, we're handicapping it every day, mm -hmm. you know, like mile on a 16th might've had a little more trouble from that 12 post mile on an eighth got a little more time, uh, you know, before they, they get to that turn and has some, has an opportunity to cross over. Um, and so, you know, these are all things to look at. Of course, there's, there's a pretty handy indicator usually at the top of, you know, each race that shows you where they're starting. Um, yeah. so definitely take note of that. Um, and, uh, you know, factor those things in, uh, this was a situation again, where, you know, everybody wanted, I think, come out a little bit of a hero finding a horse who, wasn't the most logical because it was such a deep race and you're like oh man if i could catch a a price here you know this could spice up you know the pick four the pick five i could hit a you know a nice try here whatever it is and it, it ended up being you know fairly obvious at the end of the day not, not to mention you know like warrior's charge too i mean that horse did everything that you would expect him to do i mean he ran went right his to the guts lead. out clearly, as they say you know the, the the only you know the main speed was going to get there and ran another solid race, you know? So, um, you know, it was a fairly predictable trifecta if you just, you know, didn't try to get too creative in that one. Last thoughts on tax. He was actually the fifth horse in the race and the first horse out of all the uh, 10 to 1 or higher horses. I mean, went from an 83 to a 92. So, I mean, you got that improvement, but you just didn't get the improvement to get into the number. Yeah, look, I, I feel I feel about tax sort of the same way I feel about Basin, and that's you know that that I was on the right price. I'm always looking for a price, and I, I found to be honest, like if you're uh, playing, uh, I tend to do a lot better. I think I mentioned this to you over text message the other day. 
that the, the big price that I hit on Saturday was yeah. in an $8,000 claimer at Tampa. Um, I tend to be a lot better at finding long, long shots and cheap claiming races than I am in, in stakes races, especially graded stakes races. And I think that holds true. I mean, and it makes sense because, you know, um, horses at this level, graded stakes level, are going to like race a lot more consistently over time. I mean, they're going to, if they run well, they're typically going to run well the next time. Um, and you're going to have a lot less variation in terms of, you know, the payout and the prices of, of the horses who are winning. Um, and so it's a lot harder for my betting style, which is looking for long shots to make money on, on big stakes days. I've got to be right about that one or maybe two prices that come in on a day like that. Um, whereas if I'm betting Tampa, I might, I might, there might be five bombs that come in over the course of the day, or at least in the, in the, in the exact or trifecta that I could capitalize on, um, here with tax, I feel like I was on the right horse in terms of a horse that was going to improve dramatically. He did. Um, as it turned out, um, I think, you know, uh, I was probably um, a, a little overzealous and maybe a, a little a little naive about his ability to to improve to the point where he uh, could 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 actually win this race, given the presence of some pretty classy horses like by my standards, who's heading in the right direction, um, and to also be up against a little bit of a, of a tricky pace situation with uh, drawing somewhat wide behind, um, you know, a horse like Warrior's Charge, who is clearly going to be loose. Um, so, yeah, you know, like, I, I think I, I feel okay about the pick. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't feel like I let anyone astray, like, as I was hyping up tax all week. I, I think as far as long shots go, I gave you the right long shot. He just didn't hit the board. So sorry about that. I mean, and it, you know, obviously I would have loved to have seen it because I had, um, had quite a few bets around tax on Saturday. And, and that's the thing too. I'll, I'll leave it at this. It's, it's not about being results orientated. Like if you can look at the buyers next time out, I obviously use formulator. You can go into charts and graphs and look up what the buyers are almost the same exact day later at that night. If I see that I picked four horses and they all improved their buyers and I thought they were going to improve, I mean, for me, that's a good day. I just didn't maybe do it the right way on the betting end, and I might have also just gotten unlucky. For sure, for sure. And, and I would, you know, I'd give the horse uh, tax specifically another look next out. And you could also look at, you know, again, if, if they're, like you said, if their buyers are improving, whatever speed figures you use, if by whatever metric you're judging them, they, they've taken a step in the right direction – you can also sort of, you know, tell yourself like, okay, so they took that step. Why didn't they win? Was there just a better horse in the race? Mm -hmm. um, were there a couple of better horses in the race? Now, next time out, um, is there a horse uh, of the caliber by my standards in this race? Next time out, are they going to be sitting three wide or four wide behind, you know, uh, a, a horse like Warriors Charge who's loose? And if the answer to those questions is no, I think you could confidently bet tax next time. And if you see that, you know, um, there, there are a couple of other variables that are working against him next time, you might want to proceed with caution. The, only, the other thing is next time tax runs, he's not going to be, I don't know what he went off at at the end of the day, but he's going to probably be about four to one or five to one, assuming he, he returns in, 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 a, in a grade one or a grade two. Um, so he's going to be a lot shorter price. And then you've got to ask yourself, at least I will ask myself, like, is it worth taking whatever risk I, I mm -hmm. project there will be in that race for that price? At, at 20 to 1, yes, it was worth the risk. At 4 to 1 or 5 to 1, will it be worth the risk next time? I'll have to assess that when we get to that race. Dan, I want to thank you for great conversation. Where can we find you? I know you're doing great work for ABR and your Twitter as well. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I appreciate, first of all, you having me on. Um, it, it's been an awesome conversation and 
uh, congrats again on all your success and, and, and everything you're doing right now. Just keep keep rising, keep climbing. Uh, if you're looking for me, I would go to americasbestracing.net. Uh, I do weekly uh, betting blogs and uh, got a ton of really good video there. A lot of educational video too. I, I know that the listener here might be a little bit more of an advanced player. But uh, if you've got friends out there who are listening or if you are this person who's just looking for a little more information on how to get started with betting and handicapping uh, strategy, we've got a ton of great videos. We've also got a lot of good content there um, related to uh, sort of the stars of the game, the jockeys, the trainers. We tell a lot of great stories through features, uh, both written and video. So check that out, americasbestracing.net. And if you're looking for me directly, you have any questions, um, you want to kick around some ideas or some handicapping thoughts you have or uh, anything at all, you could always catch me uh, at Twitter or on Twitter uh, at Denonymous Man. So that's all uh, one continuous long uh, handle at Denonymous Man. So uh, I hope people reach out and uh, wish everyone uh, tons of success here in these coming weeks. We got a lot to look forward to with Churchill coming back and hopefully Santa Anita coming back. So uh, things are uh, there's a little bit of light now at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, so um, wishing everyone. Uh, all the best. Continue to stay safe, stay stay healthy, and uh, anyone who wants to reach out, feel free to do so. Appreciate the kind words, Dan. We will be talking again with you shortly. Thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show and my special guest, Dan Torchman. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornital. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. No way. Hide from all of this.